I'm going to pray as well. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. We love you. Help us to love better. Help us to love those around us. Fill us with your spirit. I pray that everybody, myself included, would go away from here changed radically for the better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am thinking about a hymn. That's more like a worship chorus. I don't know if you it's in this transitional place between hymns and worship songs. But uh, it's called Take My Life and Let It Be. Anybody know that one? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And then it has 10 different stanzas, and you can stick them wherever you want. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love, at the impulse of your love. Take my feet, let them be swift and beautiful for thee, which, of course, is a reference to the Isaiah passage, and Paul quotes it also in Romans chapter 10, which is bringing the gospel. Um, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. It's just a song of consecration. It's a song of laying everything down. And uh, I've told you this before, but this is also coming to my mind. Before my dad was really a real Christian, he went to church plenty. And he actually had this amazing voice. So they wanted him in the choir and they wanted him doing all kinds of stuff. And he was singing. I don't know what song it was. I don't think it was that one. But God, basically, maybe for the first time, my dad was listening to God. God said, you're lying. Don't say, take my silver and my gold. Take my hands and take my feet. And take my love. My God, I pour at your feet its treasures store. Take my life and I will be ever only all for thee. We sing all these wildly outrageous Things about loving God and giving our hearts. And, my, and God just said to my dad, you're lying. And, and my dad was, he was at a, it was funny. He's, he's in the deep South, horribly racist situation. And he's literally poor white trash. And he just goes there with his high school buddies to the Baptist church. It's a very famous um, Latin American evangelist, um, Angel Martinez. And actually read about him sometime. Crazy how effective this guy was. But God speaks to him for the first time. He says, you're lying. Don't ever sing these songs again unless you mean them. And then this evangelist says, if your religion isn't changing you, you need to change your religion. And my dad got saved as a, as a high school kid. And that changed everything for everybody. Um, you know, he didn't die. But his father died of, of alcoholism and whatever. But my dad heard it. Later, you know, truly gave his life to the Lord and it's changed. And so our lives are blessed and I have a blessed marriage and the blessings are going to go on to the generations behind us. But anyway, this, uh, we're talking about the mind of Christ. We're talking about giving all. That's, that's what it means when you call Jesus Lord. And so many people think they're saved. They're going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Didn't we go to church? Wasn't I in the choir? Wasn't I a Sunday school teacher? Didn't I do communion? Didn't I have all the perfect theology? They're even going to say, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I see stuff happen? Didn't I have prayers answered? And what's Jesus going to say? And I think with tears running down, as I 
I never knew you. You you made that deal up. That was not the contract. That wasn't the covenant. You just made that up. You thought it was a little ritual, a little sacrament, a little sinner's prayer. That wasn't the deal. The deal was, I give you all of me and you give me all of you. And you, you just made something up and you went to church with them. He said, many will say to me, many. And if we believe this book, there's people sitting right here in this church this morning who are going to stand before Jesus and they think they're doing it right. They know they're doing it right because that's what deception does, right? It deceives you. To call Jesus Lord means you are his slave. People don't like that. Say, hey, let's get out an open Bible. And you show me from an open Bible that that's not what it means. So I'm going to follow you. I'll give you my life. Now, it's not slavery. That's for sure. doesn't feel like slavery. Jesus said it's the fullness of life. But we got to get off the throne. We got to let Jesus on the throne. He calls the shots. And it's a little scary at first. But after a while, you're like, look, like Deal Moody. Deal Moody, uh, towards the end of his life, his friend R.A. Torrey was speaking to me. He said, look, if God asked me to plunge out that window right now, I would do it. I've walked with him for so long. He is so good. Anything he's going to ask you to do is for your benefit, your blessing, others' goods, his, his glory. You don't have to be afraid of him because he is love. But we have to get to that place where we give Christ our all. So I haven't even gotten to my first slide. Let's close in prayer. No, we were going for a ride here this morning. Um, so I was provoked this week. I was provoked. You've been provoked in your spirit, not by bad things, by godly things. I was provoked. And it made me think of this passage in Acts 17, where Paul is going through Athens right after he goes to Berea. What happened in Berea? They were biblical people. They weren't just cattle. What does the priest say? What does the pastor say? Right? They were biblical people. They're like, okay, he might be an apostle. You might be the big cheese, but we're going to get out the book and we're going to test you. You don't do that with your pastor, your priest, your religion, your church, your organization, your denomination. You're just the cattle and you're probably going off to the slaughter. We've been given this great book that we can challenge, test everything by. So that, anyway, but that's not my sermon either. Those are the Bereans before the Athenians. So then Paul goes to Athens and he walks around and he sees all these idols Idols, idols, idols. People are looking for ultimate answers in the wrong things. Ever heard the English word paroxysm? That's where the, the provoked comes from here. It's, just, it's I mean, it's not where it comes from. Our word comes from the Greek. But where the paroxysm is like when you're overwhelmed or shaken by something. A paroxysm. He's shaken on the inside by the fact that all these masses of brilliant people. Athens is like the, the, the epicenter of, of brilliant people on planet Earth in the day. And he goes there and he says, you got idols. You're all shooting for the wrong thing. I'm provoked. So I was provoked this week. So this made me think of this verse. Then I thought of Jesus being provoked. And his, his being provoked is a little different. He said, seeing the crowds, he was moved in his guts for them. And of course, you quasi-Greek scholars, you know that that word is splongnizomai, right? Oh, I can't even. Yeah, Sophia has that tattooed on her arm because... When she was in the darkest depths, she said, if I ever get out, if I ever get out, I'm going to, and some people, their tattoos are evil. I think Jesus is happy with it. You know, in so the, the book of Isaiah, it says Jesus has a tattoo. God has a tattoo on his hand. You know what it is? It's your name. That's what it says. So anyway, when I, that's, but uh needs on my, moved in the guts. He sees the crowds. He says, now don't go out and get tattoos and say, the pastor told me to. 
I don't have any. I don't have a single tattoo. I just God has more. God has bigger fish to fry than can we get tattoos. So seeing the crowd, he's moved in the guts for them. Why? Because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Have you been distressed by the multitudes lately? Or are you too concerned about yourself? My, my, me, my dreams, my pain, my frustration, my, me, my, my. Well, that's one of the things that truly being born again does for you. It gets you over yourself, darlings. It's a quote from a movie. Get over yourself, darling. It gets you over yourself so then you can look out to the masses and be moved in the guts. That's what real Christians do. Real Christians are over themselves. They're not trying to please God or win his love or jump through hoops. They're over themselves because they know they're fine with God because Jesus has set them right. And now we can get on the business with loving everybody else and showing them where the life is. So Jesus looks out, he sees the crowds, he's distressed. He's moved in his guts. It's painful. Have you shed tears for anyone lately? Have you shed tears for anyone lately? People who are fatherless, homeless, addicted. Someone in this church, doesn't mind me talking about him, said that uh, before he came here, you can tell me if I'm getting, never had a friend. Past 20 years old, never had a friend. That's, that's not right. A lot of people and you've been abused. It's not right. Jesus saw the multitude. He's like, ah. Now we've been studying the mind of Christ. And people do bad things to people, but ultimately people do bad things to people. Jesus saw there's even a greater enemy behind all of this, which is Satan. And if we believe the New Testament, we believe Jesus, and we don't think he was nuts, then we have to say there's a Satan. And he said there were demons. So there are demons. I just led a kid to Christ this week, and it's really awesome, and he's going to give the discipleship house a crack um, and he's, you know, the world tries everything, psychology and special programs in the school. And I was a little hesitant because his pastor was there. I was a little hesitant to bring this up, but uh, I brought up the demonic and he's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know all about that. The presences in your room and the voices in your head and the things that are driving you to, yeah, Jesus talks about that too. So either Jesus was crazy or we're crazy for not believing that stuff. But Jesus saw the crowds and it says they were distressed, downcast. You can translate that ripped up, thrown down. He just looked over the crowd and he said, oh man, fatherless children, people going to bed hungry, people feeling worthless, people being abused, sexually abused. It's His heart's broken. And who does he see behind it? Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's, it's The scripture, 1 John, says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's a reality. So Jesus is moved in the, in the guts. He's provoked, but it's by compassion. So, in the Old Testament book of First, uh, First Kings, there's another person who is provoked. We can be provoked for a lot of reasons. I'm mostly provoked. There's two reasons I'm provoked right now. I'm provoked because God is not getting glory on this earth from so many people, even Christians. We think he's powerless. We think he's like grown old or something. We, we don't look to him. We don't expect the miraculous. We farm out our hard cases to the world as if they can fix people in a way that Jesus can't. God's not getting glory. And I'm also provoked because I see all the pain and suffering around me. 
someone kind of caught in this dual provocation thing, and I'm just stirred up this week. But it made me think of 1 Kings, where Elijah the prophet, he's stirred up because God's not getting glory, and all the people in Israel are following after the Baals. And so I don't have time to go into all the context here, but the nation has kind of gone astray from God like ours. Of course, there's a lot of people in church, but we're in pretty bad shape, pretty bad shape. Um, and the nation was in pretty bad shape in Elijah's day. And he said, all right, make up your mind who you're going to follow here, people. So Elijah approached all the people and he said, how long are you going to struggle with two opinions? Got to get my glasses on. If Yahweh is God, and again, for those of you who don't come here, Yahweh is God's personal name. In the Old Testament, in your Bible, you'll see Lord in all caps, the Hebrew word Yahweh, and it means something like he is. Uh, God calls himself I am, Ayah. Uh, we call him he is, Yahweh. So he is what? Well, that's get to know him better, and he'll tell you what. But you just start with he is. That's what they call him. Yahweh. If Yahweh's God, follow him. If Baal, who's not a good God, he's a false God, follow him. The people didn't answer him. So much as a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of Yahweh while Baal's prophets are 450. Now have them give us two oxen. So he said, let's have a showdown. Let's prove this thing. Let's find out who, who God really is. Have you ever done that? You ever talk to your friends with apostate religious opinions or, or they're into Wicca or something? And he said, hey, let's let's do this thing. Look, I'll, pr I'll pray for you. You want to put a curse on me? Try it. It's not going to work. Um, so that's what he does. He says, let's have a showdown. Have them give us two oxen. Have them choose the one ox for themselves. Cut it up. Put the put put uh, put it on the wood. Put it, uh, no fire under it. I'll prepare the other ox. I'll lay it on the wood. I'll put not. Uh, I won't put any fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God. I'll call in the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. That's a great phrase right there. The God who answers by fire, He is God. Has your God answered by fire? Have you? Has God ever answered you so dramatically? mind-blowingly rescued a friend, delivered somebody from some horrific thing that you just had to fall on your face and worship. Um, well, this is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. He still does this kind of stuff. The church doesn't like to talk about it. Church, people are embarrassed. Oh, this guy's he's, he's a little kooky. He's a little strange. Am I strange or is, is the church gone off the rails? Because we don't have a God that has any power anymore. We don't believe in miracles anymore. We don't think he can fix addictions anymore. We don't think he can he can straighten out someone who's sexually perverted anymore. We just the church is just conceding. We just have to let everything it must be what God wants. He must have made me this way. We don't think he can heal depression. We don't think he can heal anxiety. We don't think he can do anything. We don't think he can save the reprobate. So he said, "Look, the God who answers by fire, he's God. Let's do this thing. Let's have a showdown." And the people said, "Hey, that's a good idea." That's what they said. That's a good idea. It's a great idea. Let's do it. At the time of the offering, <laughs> the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached God and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I'm your servant. You ever pray that prayer? I pray that prayer. God, let it be known this day that you are God, and I'm your servant. Does that sound arrogant? Well, if he doesn't answer by fire, I guess you were mis misfiring and you were being arrogant. If something answers by fire, you got to say, hmm, maybe that person's got a connection that I don't. God who answers by fire, he's God. 
Answer me, Yahweh, answer me, so this people may know. He's doing this for the glory of God, and he's doing this for the people's benefit. He's not doing this to show off or be right. He's doing this because there is a one and true living God. There is a true conception of God. There's a million counterfeit conceptions of God. There is a true Jesus. There's a million counterfeit conceptions of Jesus. And if you get a hold of the real one, he'll answer you by fire. It's a truth. Then the fire of Yahweh fell. Consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, licked it up, and the water that was in the trench. Because he said, look, let's, let's do this upright. Drench this sacrifice. Put a trench around it so it's just dripping wet. When all the people saw this, they fell on their face and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. I'm, I'm provoked this week because of conversations I have with people who call themselves Christians and expect nothing from God. I'm provoked because this world is dying and Christians are sitting on their hands expecting nothing from God. <clears throat> and I'm provoked because as poorly as we do everything in this church, I have hard evidence sitting in front of me in this church that God can solve just about any problem you can name. Any homeless crazies in here? Let me see your hands. People that were out on the street. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. In this little bitty church, any brains ravaged, if you don't mind me doing this, brains ravaged because of sexual abuse as a child. Anybody like that in here who are now healed and delivered? Okay, I know, I know most of the stories in here. Any addiction? We got any meth addicts in here? Former meth addicts? One, two, three. Are you a meth addict anymore? Are you on meds? Are you struggling every day to stay off the pipe? No. Depression. Anybody in here had depression? Okay. Now, a lot of people have Anybody, it is water under the bridge. Bye-bye. I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, bunch of, bunch of. Jesus did this. Jesus does this. Homosexuality. We can't talk about that. What about the LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ, all these issues, all this crazy sexual stuff? You realize, hey, this was not God's will for my life. You were caught in it. You were convinced it was okay. And now you're out. Anybody in here like that? One, two, three, four. Okay. God can fix anything. And I, most of you guys in here, I know you personally. This, is, and this wasn't a setup. I didn't call people beforehand. Uh, so could some people raise their hands when I say math? Uh, yeah. Could, uh, but the, the depression people, um, would you just say you did? No. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't review this at all. And we don't necessarily need God to answer by far, do we? We need him to take care of some very specific needs. We need the voices in our head to stop. We need the crushing darkness that makes us feel like there's no reason to go on living, to be lifted. We need to learn to see ourselves as valuable, right? That, those are, that's way more important. than. At this point, they needed fire from heaven, but most of us need something else. God does it. Jesus does it. The church is not expecting this right now. The churches I grew up in didn't expect this. Sorry, 
I'm really glad for the foundation my mom and dad gave me, but the churches I went to didn't expect much. The biggest miracle I recall as a child hearing about in my church was we had a visiting missionary and they were talking about being in South America or somewhere and one of their boats broke down and one of the natives said, didn't your God create heaven and earth and raise the dead? And, and the missionary's like, yeah, I guess he did. And the native said, don't you think he could get an engine started? And the missionary's like, <laughs> and so the native prays and the engine starts and everybody in my church went, <laughs> like that was the biggest miracle I ever heard of as a child in my church. I didn't hear about radical conversions and street people and addicts and all this coming off the street. We didn't expect fire. We didn't get fire. But I'm provoked because the church doesn't believe in fire anymore. Churches we were raised in, but there's fire. And there's a God who still has power and still saves and delivers and heals. The God of Elijah. So uh, I'm. we need to give this God glory. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Not your fake name, not your fifth-rate name, not your poorly represented name, your real name. Who you really are. Jesus said, I manifested your name. The God who looks like Jesus, the God who has the power of Jesus, the God who has the heart of Jesus, the God of compassion and kindness, the God who goes to the prostitutes and the throwaways. Hallowed means set apart, means lifted up, means make it known. Hallowed be your real name. I want to see God get glory because I want to see. I'm just, I am provoked by Christians who make God look like a powerless nothing. Or right now, a lot of Christians are just making him look like a jerk. He's just a jerk. You know? <laughs> are Christians known for compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? And all those things, that was a direct quotation right there from Colossians. Is that what we're known for? Nope. We're mean and mad and angry. And you see those picketers at the game yesterday? Anybody see those picketers on the corner? Yeah, those ones. As ugly as it gets. We're the Christians. God hates everybody. God hates them all. The people are just banging the door down at that place to get in. We're misrepresenting God. The sinners love Jesus. You couldn't keep them away. They call them a friend of sinners. They, they were busting down the door. Jesus is there. They're running over there. They know they're broken. They know they're sinful. They know they need healing. They know they're crazy. They know they're demonized. And Jesus loved them. So anyway, I'm provoked by that, but I'm also provoked by the fact that there's such a tremendous need around us. And I want to remind some of you guys, humbly, lovingly, and I'm not doing this because I'm doing this all great. I'm not very good at any of it. I'm just telling you what's true. Some of you guys were scraped off the road and you forgot you're scraped off the road. And now you don't think about people that are lying on the road bleeding out. And you need to remember, remember where you came from. And not get caught up in the good life. Because anyway, the good life is doing God's will anyway. Don't get caught up in the counterfeit good life. And uh, go back and get those people. Just like someone came in and got you out. God doesn't generally send angels or mystical, you know, sparkly dust down around somebody and give them visions and bring them to people. But uh, so I'm also provoked, you know, of course, you know, I go to Africa a lot. And the thing that got me over there was the fact that uh, does it bug you that there's 20 million 
orphans wandering around in sub-Saharan Africa, dying in the streets, starving, whatever. Um, this morning, again, I got really stirred up. I got caught watching a um, video about street kids and um, called American Street Kid. It's raw. There are naughty words in it. If I really, I'm, I'm encouraging you adults, uh, watch it. It talks about real things like prostitution because that's what it takes for these poor little girls. One of them was 15 years old. But this is America. It's what it takes them to survive. And um, these are some of the some of the kids in the video. But um, one thing that I was thinking about before I watched the video was the fact that you know Jesus was homeless, and I and and part of the video there was a, a graffiti that was up on the wall, and it said Jesus was homeless. Part of the uh, the movie. And I'd been thinking about that even before I watched it. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was not riding in a jet. He didn't have a Rolls Royce. He didn't wear custom clothes. Um, he was dependent on the kindness of others. And uh, people had to give to his ministry to keep it going. Jesus was not a rich man. When God became a man, he became a poor man. And he went to the poor. But just listening to the testimonies of these kids, it's horrendous. They're not out there because they want to be out there. They're out there because it's better on the street than it is in some American home. And it's like some of your all's homes. There was abuse, physical abuse. There was sexual abuse. Uh, there was parents who just kicked them out because they wanted the boyfriend more than they wanted the child. Or one kid said, my mom couldn't afford both me and the dog, so she kicked me out. This is in our country. Are you provoked? Christianity is not about helping you achieve the American dream. That is a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And if you think that that's what Christianity is, is leveraging Jesus so that your kid's the quarterback of the football team and goes to state you and gets honors and then goes and becomes you know, a medical doctor and that's in, and you make your six figures and you have your vacation home and all that stuff. If you think that's what this is all about. You're deceived. This is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about getting over yourself and looking out on a world that is dying in sin under the oppression of the evil one, going to a real hell. Cause unless Jesus isn't crazy, there is a real hell. And that he ascended to the Father, and he passed the baton to us, and he said, now you guys take care of business, because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you can do miracles. you believe you can do miracles? The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, so if you don't believe it, then you're one of those people that Paul prays for in Ephesians. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, so that you would know the surpassing greatness of the power Towards us, that is towards us, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when you raise him from the dead. All that means is the power that raises Jesus from the dead is in you if you're saved and born again. You need to learn how to get it out of you. Participating with God, learning about intercession, so you can do miracles. So, Jesus was homeless. Yeah, I, I found this picture because uh, I talked with this guy in the park last week. Not exactly this guy, but a guy who's very much like him. 
he just had his head down and I was doing my prayer walk and uh, saw him over there at the picnic table and had every reason in the world why I shouldn't have to talk to him. He's inebriated anyway. He's not going to understand me and, you know, whatever. He probably won't even want to talk. He's probably mad, blah, blah, blah. Every excuse in the world. And I uh, went over to the little restroom area because I had my allergies are hitting me. I was like, go talk to the guy. So I went and sat down and um, I hate my life. My kids hate me. I'm hopeless. I don't want to be like this. Um, I said, yeah, you've probably heard the gospel a hundred times, haven't you? Yep. Have you ever heard that you need to surrender? Never heard that before. Oh, so you never heard you need to surrender. So there's no power in it if you don't surrender. You got to give everything. Jesus gave everything for you. Give everything to him. And then everything's possible. You can be over this alcoholism. You can be prayed right there in the park. This guy's in Manhattan. I went into a uh, quick shoppy thing. These are the most, these are all over the internet. This is not actually the lady I saw, but it was very much like this. Someone that I knew from back in the day actually used to go to my church. It was a pretty attractive young lady. My jaw almost hit the floor when I saw her. We've actually been beaten with a stick. It was meth. It's right here in our town. I was in the supermarket the other day with Dom. There was a methed out woman in there like I'd never seen. I, I didn't I didn't even know how to talk to this lady. She was so fried. I didn't even that these people are in our town, and that'll take a young 30-something and turn them 70 and then dead in a matter of months. This is going now. Why are these people like this? Well, they're sexually abused. So people told them they're worthless. They'd never had never there's people who've never even sat around a table with a happy, healthy family and watch the husband and wife and kids engage each other. All they know is drugs and abuse and mom's next boyfriend and getting beat up and raped and everybody's high and thrown out and social services. That's all they ever knew. Those people have never even known a peaceful home. Entire, so then you say, well, why, why are they doing that? Why don't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? You know what? You, they're probably doing better than you'd be doing if you were in their situation. It's because, you know what? I, I took, I put this picture, I put, pulled this picture up too. You know what? Asking, asking some young street kid or some person in Africa, you know, orphan on the street who's sniffing glue or is now a thief or whatever, or someone who's a prostitute, you asking them to pull it together is like me telling you with no background in piano at all, to just walk out in front of some massive crowd and, and play a concert. It's impossible. It is impossible for a street kid to pull it together. It's impossible for a prostitute to just pull it together. And then we say, oh, we just got to pray a little sinner's prayer with them. Just get them baptized. And then the magic of the Holy Ghost will take over and they'll just sprout wings and they'll just fly to heaven. You show me where that's ever happened in the history of the world. You can have a miraculous conversion where they really make contact with God, but guess what? Then you got to walk with them in the next five to 10 years and help them reprogram their brains. 
because they don't know that men don't sleep with everything that moves and they don't know that men don't beat up everybody, including their women in their lives and their stepdaughters. And, and they don't know that women use sexuality just to get to the next place and the next roof over their head. And they don't know that you don't run to drugs. They have to relearn everything. They don't know to brush their teeth. So then, yeah, lead them to Christ, but then you got to walk with them. And you got to love them and you got to take them into your family and you got to take them into your house. That's what I love about Marlena's testimony. It's the little blip that starts it off as they took me in just like I was one of their family and they loved me and they, they surrounded me. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples of all nations. Have you ever made, have you made a single disciple yet? One single disciple? Have you made one single disciple? This is Jesus's mission and you haven't made one? Or you've made only 10? You've been a Christian 20 years, you've only made 10 disciples? What are we doing? This is the program. The program is I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the resources. I'm going to give you the authority, like Jason was saying, to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And then we think that Christianity is going to help me get into med school or help me find a hot spouse or have a white picket fence and a house in the suburbs and 2.5 cars and two Mercedes. We think that's what, what are we nuts? Christianity is to help me get over my depression or whatever, make me happy. That's what it is. It's happy. Jesus died on the cross to make me happy. I'm not happy. So Christianity must not work. What? Going to all the world and finding broken up people that God loves and Jesus died for and one by one, pull them out, introduce them to the love of God and walk with them until they're sane, happy, healthy, thriving. And they look like Jesus and then they get to join the fun and do the same thing. And if you've never done it, I'm serious. I'm not being facetious when I say join the fun because the process is euphoric. I was. I have to do a little confession here, and I will have to do this with my uh, accountability group. One of my uh, one of my besetting sins is laziness, and occasionally I'll get on. And I I had a right to actually on Saturday. I was tired. I taught for seminar. I've been up since two in the morning. I had a right be lazy no i didn't i was kidding but i get on the i get on the apps and i can kind of oh that's an interesting i'll watch that oh there's another one and i'll watch that and oh and another one and ooh, an hour's gone by what in the world but anyway i was watching these two um i was watching this series this person finds two strangers and he sits them back to back and he just has them ask each other a series of questions one of them is how are you doing really and usually the people start crying. doesn't matter who they are, how rich they are, what race they are. How are you doing? Really? Well, today was a good day, but it's been really hard for the last six months. I mean, that's just like person after person after person. And I was like, man, if I was in that chair, how are you doing? My life is great. It's great. I love my life. I got incredible friends. I'm mentoring all these amazing guys. We got 10 guys. We, who was there at the seminar on Saturday? And we got the 10 guys who are going to start teaching those, those seminars and just to watch the first one go and like, wow, that was awesome. And 
friend, great marriage, joy, peace. I'm, but just person after person. And I'm like, you need Jesus in your life. I got miracles going on. Well, I'm a Christian too, but that doesn't mean we don't suffer with crushing depression. I say, you need to reevaluate your Jesus. That's what got me to reevaluate my vision of God. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle, humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Read the broader context. He says, uh, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. I said, man, I must not be getting my God stuff right. If I'm not experiencing this light, joyful thing. So I'm telling you all this, and if you don't know Jesus, you're like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. I got to do all that to get God to love me. Nope. God's going to so rearrange your brain and your heart that you're actually going to want to function like he does. And you're going to have, you're going to find joy, not in things, not in money, not in security, not in everybody shouting your name in some stadium, but in loving people. That's what's going to be your greatest joy. So Jesus said, go make disciples, teach people how to do this. Get them out of this morass of everybody who's miserable, miserable, miserable. Johnson County, it's where all the money is, right? Where we did our suicide seminar. Because it's where the pinnacle, it's where everybody is with their big houses and their big this and their big that and the CEO of this and that and, and everybody and all their kids want to kill themselves. So we must be doing something wrong. Jesus is like, absolutely. Go make disciples. Show them how to do it right. Get over yourself. Get over your stuff. Learn to love. Make And, and then... Once you save these people, you pull them out. Yes, they're sinners. A lot of their pain is their fault. Not all of it, but a lot of it. They need to repent. They need to see Jesus as their sin bearer. They need to see him as the one who was punished for them. They need to put their faith in him and repent. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I believe that your death on the cross satisfies the wrath of God that I deserve. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me. Make me new. The Bible calls that being born again. They need that. And that happens in a moment. Boom. And they're in. They're in. They're in the camp. They're in the family. But then we got to walk with them. Walk with them. Untie all those knots in their head that they've picked up the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Destructive, crazy living with everybody else in the rat race. That's discipleship. So they can't play the piano. But walk with them for a little bit. They can. They can do the life thing. They can have a good marriage. We've got people in this church that have amazing marriages. You have absolutely no business having an amazing marriage. The only, the only explanation is Jesus. They can be financially successful because they know how to work hard and they learn that they have gifts and skills. And, and you got people in this church that are making it. you got no business making it. You should be dead, in prison, you know, mental hospital, homeless, whatever. you got no business thriving. But it's because the Lord awakens in you who you really are, makes you fruitful, you use your gifts and you turn around, you use those to bless others. Can you make money? Yeah, we'll give more of it away to help the people that are suffering. Or give it to the people that are going to the dark places that maybe you're not gifted to go in yet. But just say, Jesus, everything I am, everything I have, it's yours. It's at your disposal for your mission and your kingdom. So uh, let's see here. I have a couple more things I want to say. Doing amazingly well on time, I must say. Oh, okay. I'll jump right over here. This is interesting. Elijah, I'm not going to do this yet. Elijah got a little burned out. 
got burned out, got tired of all the opposition. And he's like, God, I'm, I'm super tired. And I just, I just kind of like to come home if that's all the same to you. And God's like, all right, go find yourself a replacement. So let's look at Elijah's replacement. So Elijah departed from there and he found Elisha. Sounds a lot like Elijah, but it's not. It's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing. Shaphat means judgment. So while he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. So I'm thinking this is a pretty, must be a pretty yoked dude. Pardon the pun. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, this is, he was with the 12th and Elijah came over to him and threw his cloak on him, which basically says, I want to give you my job. He left the oxen behind and ran after Elijah. And he said, please let me kiss my father and mother and I'll follow you. This sounds a little like something that happened in Jesus's ministry, but it wasn't. The guy that said, let me bury my parents, that guy wanted to just go hang out with his parents until they died. He didn't want to say, mom and dad, I'm out, but I sure love you. Thanks a lot for raising me. I'm going to do God's will. So you're allowed to do that. The thing that happened in Jesus ministry was not similar he says sure go back what have i done to you so he returned from following uh he, he returned from following elijah's like all right tell me about the whole deal what am i in what am i going into here and let me go get my stuff in order i guess he returned back home he took the pair of oxen sacrificed them not going to be plowing with these suckers anymore no use for these anymore cooked their meat with the implements of the oxen, gave it to the people they ate. He got up and followed Elijah and served him. I read that this morning and I was like, let's follow Jesus like that. You got some oxen, just kill them. Let's have a party. Let's eat it and let's get on with business, right? Well, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from just dropping everything and saying, Jesus, you threw your mantle on us. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be going to the poor. We're supposed to be going to the press. We're supposed to be preaching your death, burial, and resurrection. We're supposed to be bringing the love of Christ. We're supposed to be having discipleship houses, and we're supposed to be scraping the homeless off the street, and we're supposed to be having people in our own homes because that's what you would have done. We're supposed to be having parties. We're inviting just street people that can't repay us anything because that's what you did. We're supposed to be laying hands on the sick. We're supposed to be casting demons out of people. Yes, we are, because they're still around. We're supposed to be doing... Then, wait, can I go kiss my mom and dad goodbye? Because I'm in, I'm in. I'm completely in. I didn't do this this morning, so I'd have a good sermon illustration, but I was praying with the leaders, and I said, Lord, do you want my house? Do you want all the equity of my house? You can have it. Do you want my favorite things? One of my favorite things is my mountain bike. I put a lot of, you want me to give that away this afternoon? I will give it away. I will give that, but now don't come ask me afterwards unless the Lord has told you. I also like all guys, I like my tools. Who likes your tools in here? Say amen, hallelujah. You want my tools, Lord? What do you want? I I just want to be all in, man. This world's dying. We got the goods. I know. I don't. I don't think we might have the goods. I know we got the goods. I know it. I know it. I know it. Because we've got hard evidence that I could bring into a court of law and say, "Yeah, meth addict, depressed, suicidal, mental hospital." Oh, I forgot that one. Who has been in a mental hospital? Let's see those hands. Amen. Hallelujah. One, two, three. 
Okay, four. Yeah. No more. I know voices in the head. No more voices in the head. We got hard evidence that Jesus saves, delivers, and heals. We got the goods. And there's a dying sea of humanity around us. But I don't know that I'm all in yet. I want to be. And I, I don't know how I'm not in or where I'm not all in. But I know that we got the power. And I know God wants these people. Jesus, when he saw the multitude, said he had compassion on them. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers so people go get them. I want to be in that army. I want to be a part of that. Somehow it's not happening. God's not the problem. I am. I want to say, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See what in me is hurtful. What's hurting your world? What's hurting? What's holding back the plan? Lead me in the everlasting way. So like I said, I'm a little provoked today. But I want to be provoked. I got, I got about 20, 25 good, more vigorous years, I think. And I want I want to I want to kick it up. Not to 10. I want to kick it up to 11. I don't even quite know how. I just want to do it. I want to be there. I want to be. So how do I know this works? Well, there's a couple more. This is a New Testament passage. It's a lot like that Elisha passage. Look in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross, you die on a cross. You don't put a gold one with a diamond in the middle around your neck and have matching earrings. That's not what crosses do. They kill you. Take up your syringe, your lethal injection. Take up your electric chair every day. Follow me. If you don't, you're not worthy of me. You've got to die to all the stuff the world's clamoring for. Do my thing. He who's found his life, you found your life in this world, you're going to lose it. It's all going to burn. If you lose your life, you're going to find it. John 12, he says this kind of stuff over and over and over. This is what a for real follower of Jesus looks like. Now, I'm not saying there's not people that are going to get into heaven and they're just fuzzy on the whole thing and they accepted salvation. The Bible says there's people that accepted salvation and they're fuzzy on everything. And so they got in because salvation was a gift. But when they get there, they're going to be ashamed. So I guarantee you, there's some of you sitting here, you got in the door the right way. Jesus said, I'm the door. Everybody who came before me, they're all thieves and robbers. There's no other way to get in but me. <clears throat> Some of us got in the right way. But then from there, we just had a bunch of junk piled on the, the right foundation. And we think Christianity is this or that. We listen to bad teaching because we didn't get in the word. Yeah, there's going to be people in heaven who didn't go all out for Jesus. And they're going to be ashamed. But that's not who Jesus is talking to. He's saying, look, this is, this is how you do it right. You sell out and then you learn how to do it intelligently. I'm going to talk about a guy named William Booth. Great quote of William Booth. I put it in my book in the new edition just because it was so great. And I kind of stuck it in sideways at a place. I don't even know if it fits, but it was just so great. He said, I'm not waiting for a move of God. He said, I am a move of God. And when you, when you hear about this guy's life, he's like, I'm not going to sit around and wait for anybody. I'm not like, oh, God, would you move? He's like, no, I'm going to press into God and I'm going to find out what's mine and I'm going to find out how to pray and I'm going to consecrate my life and I'm going to go into those dark places and I'm going to stir things up and I'm going to burn out for the glory of God. And he did. So Jesus, he says, verse 25, John 12, 25, he who loves his life loses it. You like your comfort, your little house, your little retirement account? You want my retirement? You want my cars? Just give the word, Jesus. 
whatever it takes. Do we, you, you want us to pool our money and do something outrageous? I don't, whatever. He loses his life. But then he says, he who hates his life in this world, keep it. Now it also says in the Bible, God created all the good stuff. You're supposed to like good food and good friends and good times. And there's not, he created it all. But if you love it, meaning it's more important to you than the things of God, you're just going to lose everything. Anyone who serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. So uh, how do I know this stuff works? I know it works here because we're not very good at anything. I like saying that. We're not very good at anything. But we still got hard evidence that Jesus Christ is doing miracles in our midst because at least we're doing it well enough that people's lives are being changed. And I was mentioning this morning, there's some people in this church that literally were kind of like scraped out of the road and brought out of really bad families. And they're so transformed, we forgot. And you have to like make yourself, oh yeah, that person didn't come from Mayberry, you know, with Andy Griffith and, and Opie and, you know, just this perfect little life. That person was, that was hardcore sin that they were trapped in. And now there's wonderful thriving. But beyond that, we also have history, right? That's why we read books like The Cross and The Switchblade. And people that love Jesus and love the Bible, they're not going to have every little doctrinal peculiarity like you do. And so we're like, oh, he's a Pentecostal. It's like, yeah, would to God that I were a Pentecostal like him, you know? It's nobody's doctrines are perfect. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I would tell God that. I'm like, look, if the Pentecostals got it right, they preach the same gospel. They love the same Bible. This guy went to the most improbable place in the United States, which was in the middle of the warring gangs of New York City, and was like, he was a move of God in that place. Uh, that's why I like to have you guys read this book, to show you what's possible. Miracles. He just waltzed in, this country boy, this, this pasty white redneck country boy walks into the multi-ethnic gang war scene in New York City, and the Holy Spirit moves him. You know, I'll tell you another little story because uh, I'm not saying this to I'm doing this because I feel like God wants me to do it, not because I'm like, look at me, I'm awesome because I haven't done much. But when I was listening to this book and then the count in there brought me to tears. I would, I listen to books when I'm going in and out of sleep, just sometimes. It's something I'm doing now that I'm I hate to say getting older, but I do it because I wake up and I listen to books. I was listening to this book and it was about um he ran into these black kids from the black gang and he's preaching to this crowd and he challenges. He says, anybody in these gangs, like the gang leaders that they call them the warlords, is any of you really tough? He said, I can't come, come up here and talk to me. You afraid of a skinny white guy? Come talk to me. These kids came up. He shared the gospel with them. They got on their knees in front of a crowd of their peers and prayed to receive Christ. And their lives are changed. These two particular boys went into the military and and they got out. They quit. The whole gang eventually just said, we're not going to fight anymore. What's the point of that? It's not doing anyone any good. But I was listening to that in the morning, and I'm crying. And I'm like, God, I want to do that kind of stuff. And I went to a gas station that day. And, uh, well, he's a white guy, and he's ministering to some black guys. And I see a black guy over there. He's about 20, I don't know, three, whatever. And he's trying to fill a plastic water uh, water bottle up with gas. And it was cold. I was like, hey, uh, probably not a good idea because sometimes it's the wrong kind of plastic. That can disintegrate and whatever. And he's like, oh, my car's stuck over here. And he gives me this long story. So let me give you a ride. So we start talking. 
like, man, are you in trouble? You need some help? You whatever? Um, can I take you out to lunch? I prayed to receive Christ. And yeah, he had been in trouble. He had had some horrible stuff going on in his life. Been in trouble with the law. And so for the next few days, he's taking him to his probation officer's meeting and that kind of stuff. The guy's like, oh, man, there's plenty of opportunities. This kind of miracles around if you want to do them. My problem is I got all these people that are just trying to leverage Jesus for their retirement account, their 401k, their next car, their happiness. It's like, you want to get so happy you don't know what to do with yourself. Try pulling some lost, demonized, broken children out of the muck and watch me transform them if you want to get happy. So anyway, crossing the switchblade. We're studying on a Saturday seminar. We looked at the Moravians. Can't even go into the details, but a group of people that formed a community, they said, look, let's get serious about this Jesus stuff. About 200 years after the Reformation. Because the Reformation got things started in a good direction, but the Holy Spirit was not rocking and rolling on planet Earth until about 1720. And it really, now little outbreaks here and little outbreaks there, but with the Moravians and the Methodists after them, and then pretty soon it just started hitting everybody who loved Jesus and, and, and loved the Word of God. It's like the Moravians rediscovered the magic formula and they passed it on to the Methodists and the Methodists passed it on to everybody. They said, let's do this thing. And uh, I've said this so many times now, uh, when Susan and I were in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, the first place that they sent missionaries was to the, the sugar plantations to bring the love of Christ to the lowest and the least, the most despised, oppressed, abused segment of humanity on planet Earth, which were the African slaves at that time. They said, oh, that's right where their love of Christ needs to go. So they gave up all their European privilege and wealth. They, they, they made disciples in this community, and they launched them all over the planet. The Holy Spirit fell, just like he did at Pentecost on, these, on this group. This morning, I said, oh, let's, I want to look at you know, another group that did the same thing. So I said, I mentioned, I mentioned William Booth earlier. Anybody in here, bonus points on your final exam, but there isn't one, if you've if you're aware of this book and read any of it, In Darkest England and the Way Out, one, two, William Booth had a plan to save England during the Industrial Revolution, which was a nightmare for children and sweatshops and poverty and he, he talks about the details, people sleeping by the hundreds on the street and in the cold and dying and starving. He had a plan to deliver the whole of England, London and England from poverty and everything that the devil could cook up in the way that he oppressed humanity. This one man had had this plan. And so he wrote this book and I was listening to it this morning. And he calls it In Darkest England because he's playing off the European concept of darkest Africa. He said, Africa's England's just as dark as, as Africa if you look in the right places. You look what they do to a beautiful um, street girl, the way they destroy her, um, the rich, through prostitution, and then they throw her away, and they ruin her, and then they tell her she's not worth anything. And you look at the way, the poverty and the neglect and the way that they overwork, and the, just on and on and on. He said, he said, horses are treated better as a whole than, than this whole segment of humanity. Here in London, well, he came up with a plan to deliver them. So that's William Booth. Um, oh, you, so pretty cool quote. He said, "Some men's ambition is art. Some men's ambition is fame. Some men's ambition is gold. My ambition is the souls of 
men. And he was, he was, this guy was, he was amazing. So he began just a weirdo, just a crazy, just a guy that targeted the poor and the broken and the oppressed and said, I'm going to do something about it, but I've got the power. There's a song that his group used to sing called Send the Fire. And it was, it was praying based on that scripture they read about Elijah. God of Elijah, hear our cry, send the fire. Make us fit to live and die. Send the fire today. And then the choruses, send the fire. That's, that's the kind of songs his group used to sing. So you know what this picture is? There's a little weirdo at the beginning of life. This, these are the streets of London packed with mourners at his funeral. Dignitaries and royals and all the elites of society. This powerhouse pillaged the domain of darkness. Street children, prostitutes. And he said, but it's got to center with the message of Jesus and Christ, that Jesus Christ, the death, burn, resurrection of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. This you can't do this with man-made social hocus pocus, whatever. He says it's supernatural power of God, the God who answered Elijah by fire. This is how some people say he spoke this in his last sermon. Some people say that's myth. It doesn't matter because this captures his life. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there's one drunkard left, while there's a poor lost girl on the street, while there remains a dark soul without the light of God. I'll fight till the very end. So, God's not getting glory. God's people aren't expecting anything. And a lot of us are not fully yielded. So really God's hands are tied because he's not going to work without us. I believe it was John Wesley who used to say, without God, we can't. And without God, us, God won't. And that offends some people's theological sensibilities. And I guess I would just ask any one of those people, what have you ever seen God do? So until you've seen God do a miracle and you have some other formula for it getting done, I'm going to listen to the people that actually saw it done and listen to how they say it got done. God, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. This is biblical so that he can strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. He's always looking for a person. Does he have you? Does he have me? Does he have everything? Are there people we're trying to impress? that are contrary to what he wants for our life or the things we're holding on to or trying to fit into a society that's lost and going down the tubes? Or we want to just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I want to give you glory and I want you to use me to bring light and life to the dying world. So today is communion Sunday and when you're born again, we got guests here. I don't know if everyone's born again. And, and, and what's kind of interesting is sometimes people think they're born again, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them 10, 20 years into their church life, and they realize, Eureka, I've never really understood it. You understand that you're a sinner? You've done things that make you guilty before a holy God, and 
you deserve death and eternal separation from God. We're all sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you realize that Jesus Christ was your atoning sacrifice, that's why he came here, was to pay your price, take your death so you could be forgiven. Have you accepted that gift? Again, it was really fun this week to watch a young guy who had never put the pieces together and the joy. He's like, I'm feeling it. I believe it. He's forgiven. Both his parents are dead. Drugs, abuse, his whole life. He heard the gospel for the first time. You're a sinner. Jesus took your sin upon himself so you could be forgiven. You need to receive the Holy Spirit, receive a new nature, be born again. So you want to do the things that God is all about. So you get over yourself and you can get on the business with loving others. That's the whole purpose. That's why we become Christians, so that we can love. We can bring God glory. So when you're born again, there's a little ceremony we do, and it's called baptism. And it shows that you're washed. It shows that you're dead, the old Jews dead, and resurrected, the power of God's in you. That's what you do when you get saved. Some of you in here need to get baptized because you've never been born again. Now, there's no magic about the water. The magic is the faith that you have in what God's done for you. Now, for those of us who have been born again, we have been saved. There's a second, uh, um, I don't know, what ritual that God gives us, which is the Lord's table and bread and wine. And uh, what I like to tell people is to think about that commitment that you made when you laid it all down at Jesus' feet when you first got saved. Because we get fuzzy on that, don't we? And we, we pick stuff up. We get distracted. We forget. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to be all about Jesus. And <laughs> I've been all about my job or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my future plans or my master's degree or whatever. And Jesus, I want, I want you to be on. I want you to be my first love. I want you to be my everything. You want me to give up that master's degree? You want me to walk away from that boyfriend? You want me to quit that job? You're the boss. You're, I, want, I love you. I'm going to serve you. So this is a time for a lot of us where we reaffirm our belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our total dependence on him for our salvation, but we also recommit. Almost like renewing your vows. You know, married people sometimes will renew their vows. Remember where you started? Let's get back to that place. So this morning, I hope a lot of you guys, when I go up there, I think I've already done some business with God today. Like, God, you can have anything. If my, if me dying today would spark a revival, God, and bring heaven to earth for, for people that need you, I don't want to be like Peter and make bigger claims, you know, write cash checks that I can't cash. But I like, God, if, if you want me to die today, that, that give me the strength to do it. I, I want... I want you to have all, all, because I want to have a life that makes sense 10,000 years from now when we're sitting in the heavenly Starbucks talking about our 70, 80 years, 10,000 years from now. We'll say, yeah, you see those, see those 5,000 people over there? They're there because of me. Yeah, that person, that was a homeless meth addict. See that kid? That was an orphan in Africa. He ended up living in my house. Can you believe that? Went to the state university, came to our church. It was amazing. Yeah, built an orphanage because, yeah, that was, that was my neighbor over there. He was a Wiccan. He was crazy into witchcraft, all kinds of stuff. He used to beat his wife. We became best friends. I introduced him to Jesus, right? <laughs> we could be talking, talking, talking. I, don't, I want a life that makes sense. And that's only going to happen when we get out of God's way. We say, God, glorify your name. Use me to bring your love, your light, your gospel into this world.
So uh, we're just going to have some worship songs going. I'm going to say a prayer here. We're going to have some worship songs going. And I don't challenge you as Christians. Is that where your heart is? Are you all his? Is he on the throne? Is he your first thing? And if he's not, maybe you shouldn't run up here and take communion. The Bible says don't treat these things lightly. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you better do your business with God and don't. Nobody's watching you. Nobody. And if that's why you're going up to the communion table, you're all confused. We go up here because of, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm renewing my vows. Um, maybe deeper than ever today. I hope deeper than ever today. Do you know that historical revival breaks out a lot of times around the communion table? That's when it broke out among the Moravians. That's when the second great awakening broke out, was around the communion table. Your personal revival could break out today. Your, your new baptism of the Holy Spirit could happen today at the communion table because you just get out of God's way and you experience him in a completely new way today. So let's do that. I'm going to say a prayer, put on some worship. Oh, my wife is giving me the signal. You take a piece of bread and you dip it. You don't take the cup and drink it. We don't want to share COVID or anything else. We just take your bread, dip it in the cup. It's called intinction. Long history in the church of Jesus Christ. So let's do that. But let's say a prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I love you, Jesus. I want you to have all of me. And I want to join hands. I love the people in this room. And Lord, what, what would you do if we just, all of us, we just laid our lives on the altar? I just have to believe you would come just like you did on the day of Pentecost and you would fill us all and we would turn this town, this state, potentially this whole world upside down. For your namesake, for your glory, Lord, I just pray that there'd be people in this room that this is their breakthrough day. And uh, Lord, I pray if anyone here is not born again, this would be the day that they run into your arms and just become your child. So we love you. Thank you for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So.